All right, what a great, great morning to celebrate the Lord. Isn't it great to hear people's stories? And I know sometimes we get a little nervous, you know, and uh, we don't know quite what, pastors get nervous too, by the way. (laughs) And we don't always know exactly what to say, but isn't it great to know that God is working in the lives of people and that he's alive today? We can celebrate his life in us this morning. And on a celebration service like we come to today, we always love to just kind of highlight why we celebrate. I mean, there, there are people that just like to celebrate for celebration purposes. Do you know those kind of people? If there's a party, they're there. And there are a lot of people that just, it's a party and they want to celebrate. But we want to be really clear on why we celebrate. Because some of us might get caught up in the emotion of, hearing something or seeing something, and we say, oh, that's so great for them, or we're so glad that we can be excited, but we, we don't often personalize that and really get our minds and our hearts around why, why we celebrate. Why do we, every Sunday, when we get together in a place like this, celebrate the Lord? You know, celebration Sundays are every Sunday. It's a time where we can say thank you to the Lord for what he's done in our lives, and Here at Three Crosses, that that we get excited about is the gospel. We believe that the gospel has the power to change lives. The gospel is the power uh, uh, unto salvation for everyone who believes, like the scriptures tell us. And so we get excited about the gospel. And I thought this morning I would just unpack probably a familiar passage, but just so that we all get on the same page with what it means to celebrate the gospel. We're going to look at uh, a simple small little section of scripture found in the book of Romans, and I'm going to ask you to turn there, find it in your Bible, uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you're using that book rack Bible in front of you there, uh, it'll be about three quarters of the way through. I didn't grab the page number, but Romans chapter five. Some of you have the Bible on your phone or your tablet, that's fine, just don't text and don't look at news and don't look at sports scores and those kinds of things. Romans 5, this is a watershed passage for why we celebrate the gospel. I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to talk about it in terms of what it it meant to a person in history and what it means to me and perhaps what it means to you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. We're going to stop right there. We celebrate today because of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which offers to lost sinners, are you ready for this? Justification by faith. Say that with me. Justification by faith. Now that is something that perhaps many of us have heard. It is sort of the the banner cry or the rally cry a few centuries ago with the life of Martin Luther, 
that we are saved not because of works, not because of religion, not because we've, we have a knowledge of creeds, not because we uh, do good works, not because we carry out sacraments or ordinances, not because we have rituals in our lives, not because we know Christians, not because we are born in a Christian family. We are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. Now, if you have followed Christ for very long, you know that justification is the, is the beginning of a long string of God's work in our lives. And it starts with justification. That's God's work in our lives. Are you following that? I mean, it's not that any of us figured this out. Justification is the work of God in the life of a sinner. God is the one who justifies. Justification reminds us that we now are forgiven all of our sins. The penalty of our sins has been forgiven. The guilt of our sins has been forgiven. This is justification. Glorification, and actually there's more to justification. I'll get back to that. But glorification happens at the end of that journey. And in the middle is sanctification. Three big words. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification happens when we place our faith in Christ. We are forgiven of all of our sins. And watch this. We are credited with righteousness. God declares us righteous. He declares us righteous. It's a forensic term. If those of you that are into legal things or whatever, forensics mean it's a legal application. When God says you are justified, he's pronouncing not only our forgiveness, but our righteousness. That is amazing. Because I know who I am. And I know who you are too. (laughs) We all know each other as sinners. We know we fall. We know we don't measure up. But God comes along and he says, through faith you can be justified, forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future, and declared righteous. As if a judge, if you were standing before a judge, having committed a crime, and the judge throws the gavel down, you are guilty, and this is your your sentence. And then he walks around from the place of the gavel, and he pays the sentence, And he declares you not guilty. This is a judge's prerogative. The judge of heaven looks at us through faith in Christ. And he says, you are no longer guilty. And furthermore, I declare you, I pronounce you righteous in Christ. That is an amazing reality. And the reality of that, to me, even perhaps more unsettling is that many of us who call ourselves Christ followers don't have a clue about what that really means. And we are still trying to earn something that God has declared. We are still living in sin because we think God doesn't care anymore. And we are all goofed up. We just don't understand what what justification really means. Now when I said God declares us righteous, watch this, he doesn't make us instantaneously righteous. He declares us righteous, but watch this. He starts a process known as sanctification where he's going to want to root out all the stuff in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus Christ. He's declared us righteous, and then he goes about the business of making us righteous. (laughs) And some of us, and all of us at times, we don't like that process. 
Wouldn't it be great if God just poof and we're right, we're not only declared righteous, but we're made righteous. And that's not the reality. Go home and ask your family today, are you righteous in all the situations you're in in your family? Oh, your family go, no way. You got a long ways to go, buddy. Yeah, you do. Because God's in the process. But watch this. He's going to get you there. He's going to get you there. And in fact, so much so that he promises that by the end of it all, he's going to make us just like his son, the Lord Jesus. That's what happens in glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's like the golden chain of who we are and where we become in Christ. And aren't you glad for that? He justifies us by faith. Let's talk about a man in history. Martin Luther lived in the 16th century. You know, Martin Luther was a guy, he was, uh, uh, as a young boy, he went off to college, university at 13 years of age. He was a brilliant young man. And on his way home one day in 1505, He encountered a severe thunderstorm so great that he cried out to a saint that he had heard of in the church. And he said, Saint Anne, save me and I will become a monk. And God in his providence allowed Martin Luther to be saved and he took that as a sign from heaven that he should become a monk. So he enlisted in the monastery and he began to study and he of course did great things in study and learning. And then while at the university at Wittenberg, A few years later, at the uh, ripe old age of about 23, I think it was, he was studying to become a professor, and he was working his way through the book of Romans. And what had always troubled him was this phrase found in Romans 1.17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And Martin Luther couldn't get over the reality that he, being an unrighteous man, could never really live by faith. He knew he was unrighteous, just like all of us know we're unrighteous. And this disturbed him greatly. In fact, he fumed at the reality of his condition. And in fact, argued with the God who had wrote those words. How could I ever be righteous? Who could ever be righteous? And if I can't be righteous, then I can't live by faith because only the righteous live by faith. Martin Luther says in his own words, he says, let me just get it here. He says, at last meditating day and night, By the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered a paradise itself through the gates that had suddenly flung open. For Martin Luther, as he continued to meditate in the book of Romans, he began to see a way through. He began to see what God was saying was that even faith was a gift. It was not something that he could muster on his own. It was not a life that he could somehow achieve for himself. Reading further in the gospel, or excuse me, in the book of Romans, 
he would come across verses like this, chapter 3, verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is now no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 5. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith and suddenly Martin Luther knew that salvation came through faith alone. And it bothered him as he saw within his own system of belief people purchasing their salvation, indulgences. Much like what many in our culture do by purchasing their salvation through good works, through trying to measure up, through trying to be good enough. And the thunderous cry of the Reformation led by Martin Luther was that our salvation is based on grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And we have been living on the other side of that Reformation with the reality of that truth, but for many of us it has escaped us and and it has become a, a muddy, murky pool in modern evangelicalism today. Many of us are still trying to strive for the very thing that the, that the great Martin Luther struggled in his discovery to find that it was by faith and faith alone. And so let me give you just quickly a couple of benefits, three specifically from this passage, three benefits of justification by faith. The first benefit Paul writes here is that we have peace with God. Say that with me. We have peace with God. Now, some of us think of peace as a subjective consciousness, but this is not what Paul is writing about. He's not talking about a sense or a feeling of peace. He's talking about that there is now no more enmity between us as lost sinners and a holy and righteous God. And this is the first element of the true proclamation of the gospel, that we are sinners by nature. This is inbred in our lives. We are born sinners. In fact, right in the text, can I show you verse 10, it says, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Do you know that we are enemies of God in the proper sense before we are justified before God. That doesn't sound right to some of us as evangelicals. We we tout a message of God's love, and yes, God is loving, but within his love is a righteous indignation for sin and rebellion. And in fact, it says in verse 9 that we will be saved from God's wrath through Christ. It is God's wrath that we are saved from. We were once enemies, but now we have been justified. And the reality that some of us have not wrestled with is that before we are are justified, we are in fact at enmity with God. 
There is a refusal, a rebellion that is deep down in our hearts. There is a discord and we mask it. We put on a happy face. We try to be good people and all of that. But the gospel declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And until we embrace that truth, we haven't really grasped the true message and meaning of the gospel. If we, unless we can say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I'm a rebel at heart, that I sin because I'm a sinner. I don't, because I, because I sin, that makes me a sinner? No. I'm already a sinner, and the evidence of me being a sinner is that I do sin. And again, if you have a problem with that, and we're reminded we got a lot of babies and kids in the service this morning, and just, it's a good reminder why do you have to teach kids not to lie? Why do you have to teach kids good moral behaviors? Why do you have to teach anyone any of those things? Because inside we are rebels at heart. We have the, st the stain of sin on our lives. We are guilty before God. We are not righteous. There is no not one. And this is the message. This is the proclamation of the gospel. And this is what makes the gospel such good news. Because the gospel comes along and says, look, you are a rebel before God. You are an enemy of God. You are under God's wrath. But watch this. Christ died for you. God in his infinite love and mercy has extended to you forgiveness and grace through, by, uh, th through faith you can escape this position of being at wrath or in an enmity position before God. And that's why the gospel is such good news. We applaud it. We say, God, thank you for saving me, a wretched sinner. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me, we sing that song. I don't know if we believe those words. We'd rather sing it, you know, that saved a wretch like her or like him. <laughs> I'm not a wretch. You're a wretch. No, we're all wretched. Isn't that a weird word? We're wretched, which means we're at enmity with God. We're under the wrath of God. And do you realize how many people are walking our streets today, and in fact, even in this building today, who are still under condemnation because they have simply not placed their faith in Jesus Christ? You're either still trying to work for your salvation, you're trying to be a good person, you're trying to moralize, and it will get you absolutely nowhere. You might become a really nice person, but you are still a wretch in God's eyes. And for the people that really know you, and let's face it, when you look inside and see who you really are, I am such a sinner. I'm still a sinner. God is purging sin from my life. He's cleansing me. He does that through a lot of things. He does that through adversity, affliction. He does that through his gracious kindness in my life. He does that through beloved friends. He does that through the preaching of God's word. He does that when I sit before God's word daily in my time alone with the Lord. He does that when I sit with my wife and read and pray. He's thoroughly cleansing. He's thoroughly changing. He's working in my life, but I'm still a sinner. I'm broken. And I embrace that only in the reality of knowing that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him has forgiven my sin, past, present, and future. I'm not known now. My life, my identity is not as a sinner. My identity is new. I'm in Christ. And now I have a new life. And I'm at peace with God. 
Some of you have enmity in your family. You've got people you don't talk to anymore. People that are out of your life. There is enmity between you. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave, he flung open the gates whereby lost sinners, wretched as they are, may come and find forgiveness of all sins, past, present, future, and to be declared righteous before God. God credits us. He puts in our lives all of what Jesus did. His perfect, sinless life has now been lobbed and, and gently cast into the, into the soul of the believer so that we are now credited with the righteous, the very righteousness of Christ. How can we not give our lives fully, living our lives fully for him when he's done that for us? The benefit is that we have peace with God. A second benefit according to this passage, verse 2, is that through whom we have gained access by faith. First benefit is that we have peace with God. Second benefit is that we have access to God. Say that with me. We have access to God. Access. I love that. We don't have to go through anybody to get to God. We don't have to go through a church. We don't have to go through a pastor or a priest. The instrumentality of the avenue is through faith in Christ. And in that instrumentality, we have perfect access, prayer, fellowship, oneness. Ephesians 2.17, let me just read it. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to you who are near, the Jews. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, giving us freedom, giving us confidence, giving us the ability to know that we can walk right into the presence of the living God. I love that. We take it for granted, don't we? We have opportunity all through our day just to in the midst of what we're doing, in the midst of a conversation, oh Lord, give me wisdom right now. I really need your wisdom. Boom, instant access. Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Having a conversation. At work, a trial, something comes down. It's a difficulty. Lord, right now I need your help. I need your strength. You are a present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46.1. A mighty refuge is our God. That was a hymn written by Martin Luther, by the way. Present help in time of trouble. Instant access. And then a third benefit, quickly. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, for we know that suffering produces perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The third benefit of this Justification is that we have a sustained hope in God. Say that with me. A sustained hope in God. Peace with God. Access to God. A sustained hope in God. So much so that when we are under suffering, we rejoice. Knowing what all this produces. It produces perseverance. 
We stick to it. Character. Hope. And in the end of the day, none of that disappoints because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know at the end of the day, God, it's going to be okay, no matter how hard. I talked to Isaac yesterday. He's a gentleman in our fellowship who just about a month ago lost his wife, mid-30s, to cancer. Talked to him yesterday. Isaac, how you doing? Oh, today's a good day. Oh, I missed you at last church last week, he said. I saw you there, but I didn't want to bother you. I had my kids. I could see you were talking to a lot of folks. Just want to let you know I'm doing okay. (laughs) I was with him just a couple of days before his wife closed her eyes forever. And I'm still thinking and still reveling in the fact that the hope that is found in Christ is alive in this man as is evidenced by rejoicing in his sufferings. And the perseverance that will follow that and the character that will follow that and the hope that will follow that all works together in a beautiful, beautiful way. In such a way that those who know this man's life will see the amazing, extraordinary work that God alone has done. Do we hurt as Christ followers? Absolutely. Do we weep tears of Sometimes regret and pain and sorrow? Absolutely. But does the Lord ever give up on us? Does the Lord ever leave us? Absolutely not. I don't know what you're going through today. And I just hope that this little reminder this morning, just in these few minutes that we've had together, would have served for all of us to be just a little bit of a buoyancy in the trials and problems that we face in our lives, that we have been justified. What does that mean? We have peace with God. We have access to God. And we have hope in God. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of folks out in our culture and world that really need to see the reality of that. Do you agree? And so maybe this needs to be celebrated a little bit more in our lives. Now this morning, I think the most pertinent question would be for anyone who somehow has come to this place today that has not yet in this point received the gift of life. And as lost and as rebellious as you are, and you are, No matter how good the exterior looks, there is none righteous, no, not one. But here's the great invitation of God. There is a righteousness in the gospel. There is a righteousness from God that comes by faith. And this morning, you can believe, you can trust in Christ to forgive all your sins, to leave your life of sin, and to follow hard after him And it all happens by faith. And that could be for you this morning. And if you know this Jesus that we've been speaking of and testifying of this morning, then maybe we ought to be a little bit more vocal, a little bit more bold in letting people know the greatest, the most amazing opportunity that could ever be given to a 
sinful person, and that is to know the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. God, give us the grace to be bold and to love people and to share our lives in such a way that that would be seen. Let's go to the Lord right now, everybody. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for what you've shown us in your word today. And Lord, I would just ask right now that you would, as only you can, Lord, reveal yourself to those that need salvation. And if that's, I'm going to stop in my prayer for just a moment. If that's you, if you feel like the Lord brought you today to be brought from a life of darkness into a life of of faith through Jesus Christ, you can open your heart right where you sit and believe on Christ. And if this morning as a Christ follower you feel like you've been dormant in your faith and the justification has not been a reality that you've really celebrated much in your life, then ask God to give you the boldness to live for him. And so, Lord, we love you and we believe your promises and we ask, Lord, today that you would seal all this in our hearts in a deeper way and that we might be men and women, boys and girls, that live by faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to the Lord.